morning. I'm very nervous. This is the first time I have um, been at the front and preach. So um, I will be referring to my notes quite regularly. Um, but let's just start with prayer. Dear God, I thank you for Daniel, I thank you for the preparation he's put in, I thank you for the words he put in his heart, and I thank you for who he is. I just thank you that he's taken this courageous step to you at the front and doing the work. Pray you in words to speak and give us ears to hear. I just pray you you be with him in calmness. Amen. Amen. Okay, so um, the passage that I'm going to be speaking to today, that I'm going to be talking um, talking us through is 1 Peter 2. So if you want to open your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, I'll be reading from uh, the NIV, but um, you, you get the idea from all the different versions. I will be referencing a couple of them throughout there. So 1 Peter 2 says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies... Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted the Lord is good. Alright, hang on a second, I'm just going to turn myself down a little bit here with feedback. Okay, can you still hear me? Good, good. Cool. Alright. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they are accused Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether it be the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. 
not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable for someone if someone bears up under pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable for God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thank you, Daryl. This morning he's uh, already uh, mentioned uh, the reference for the sheep and the rocks. and um, Yeah, it's, it's, it's good to reflect on all the ways that God talks about us, his people. As a church, we identified 1 Peter 2.9 as being a verse which we as a church seek purpose and direction as God's people. So the verse says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So today I want to look at the chapter that surrounds that verse and give context to the verse and hopefully encourage and challenge you to be the chosen people that Peter's talking about. So I want to break this chapter down into two parts. So, you know, Daryl, he's a bit more experienced, so he, he does three, but I'm just doing two parts today. So who we are in Christ, and what is he called to do with this? Chapter two starts off with an introduction and an instruction. The NIV says, rid yourself. The message says, clean house. And the King James says, lay aside. All of the things that make our hearts hard and stop us from hearing God's voice and growing in Christ. All malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter's reminding us of what we need to do to open our eyes, ears, hearts to what the Lord wants. How can you come to the Lord and be focused on Him and what He's telling you if your head and your heart are already full of sin? They're already distracted. It's not saying we need to be perfect, but we need to want that. We need to want to focus and we want to hear what God's calling us to do. Verse 2 uses the metaphor of how newborns crave milk. We should crave, we should crave God's word and want the connection to God's spirit the same way so that we can grow in salvation. Some of you may remember that feeling when you were new to walking with, with Christ Jeff mentioned it this morning. When he read that book, he just felt this connection, his passionate fire, on fire for Christ. Some of you remember that. For some of you, it might have been a long time ago. For some of you, it might have been more recent. The hard thing is, in our lives, we get distracted. There's lots of things that stop us from being focused on what is truly important. That stop us from remembering what we're called to, why we're here on earth. For some of us, we've, we've been walking this walk for a long time. For some of us, it's really fresh. 
And as time goes on, think we get distracted by things, and those distractions can stop us from, from having that fire and that passion. But until the end, until he takes us home, that's our calling. We need to remember that. Now, I remember being 16 at a camp, and we were doing an outreach activity. We were on the main street of Lithgow, and we were handing out donuts to people. And they were free, and we were just giving them to people and saying, Jesus loves you. That was it. No strings attached. Jesus loves you. The amount of conversations that were started in that time, I was so nervous going into that. I I had so much anxiety and stress. So many other people there who were new to faith, some who weren't, who were just, you know, watchers. Um, But the conversations that came from that were great. The conversations and friendships that were formed from that were great. And that passion is something that when I think of that time, I get really excited. I get excited for that. I get excited to be able to talk about God like that again. But just express that God loves someone without any strings attached is, it was just freeing. And it filled me up. So that's something that I want to encourage you guys to remember as well. Remember that feeling of when you were a new Christian, right? Like, like it says there, the crave like uh, crave God's word like a newborn craves milk. Verses four to eight talk about God's chosen people being like stone, used to construct a house or temple, with the purpose of that house to exalt the Lord. Then Peter references Isaiah in the Psalms, where it was prophesied about Christ coming and being the cornerstone of that temple. Now I want you to think about the stones. All the stones that were built, used in old buildings and old churches, do you think that those stones were found and used as is? Well, Daryl's already given that answer this morning. He's already, you know, cheap notes. Thanks, Daryl. Uh, no, the answer is no, they're not. Those stones were found. They were found in the ground, they were formed under pressure and time. They're all individuals. And then when, when the, the builder, the architect, picks them up, he knows he's got a place, he's got a purpose. But there's sometimes you've got to chip away and you've got to get rid of those things that, you know, um, so that the stone fits in the wall, that the stone fits its purpose, fits where it belongs. Remember, all the other stones, all the stones in that wall are important and they all have a purpose. And even though they are many, they all fit around the cornerstone. The other stones are shaped to work with the cornerstone. The builder doesn't change the cornerstone. It is the, the structural piece, the most important piece, that holds it all together. Just like God continues to shape and change us to be more like Him and to fit in the designed place that our heavenly architect has for us and to do the role He has for us. Now, what's God chipping away at in your life? For all of us, it's different. What is he getting rid of so that you can fit your place in his temple, in his church, and serve your purpose? For some people, it's watching too much sport. Nate always referenced that. Nate always said, for him, sport. Soccer, football, cricket, it didn't matter what sport it was. For me, when I was a bit younger, video games filled my life. I loved video games. It was so fun. 
Um, yeah, for other people, it's, it's work, it's money, it's drinking. There's lots of things that, that stop us from, from fitting in our spot and, and doing what God wants us to do. So let God keep chipping away at you. This metaphor also works in partnership with the body of Christ, something else that we've been exploring at church camp and over the last uh, few months. In Romans and Corinthians, it talks about the body of Christ and how we are all different parts of the body. Um, or, or we're different, we, and we all play our own part in that. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 26 uh, this is a, this is the message translation. I like like the phrasing of this. The way God designed our bodies is a model of understanding of our lives together as a church. Every part development on every other part. Oh, sorry, every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes. Every other part enters into the exuberance. As we are chosen, and as we are all members of the body of Christ, we need to work together to glorify God and do it in righteousness. Alright, the 1 Peter passage continues, verse 9 and 10, which reminds us that God has made us a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, and given us mercy. This is because before Jesus, we were strangers to God, had no connection to him, didn't matter Jew or Gentile, we were all separated from him. And through Christ, we're all part of the same body. And God has called us out of darkness and death to be his people with purpose and a future with him. So we can be excited in that. That's great. That's exciting. That's what he was talking, Peter was talking about when he's saying, have that, have that crave like that, that feeling like craving babies crave for milk. It's exciting. You're chosen. But with that comes responsibility. Verse 11 goes on to tell us God's chosen, God's chosen people how we should live our lives. So this is, this is the second part. This is what we should do with the fact that we are God's chosen people. How should we live our lives here amongst the non-Christians? The pagans that refers to. We're instructed to abstain from sinful desires and let everyone see your good deeds so that God may be glorified in it. But when I read this, I don't just think God wants his chosen people to be good people. But it reminds me of the passage in James 2 where he talks about faith in deeds or faith in works. It's quite a popular passage, but I'll just read an a, a, um, excerpt for him. James 2, 14-17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother and sister without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. They're pretty harsh words. We need to be doing good works, not because God said be good, but because we're chosen to be his faithful. And that doesn't mean to be hopeful. Hope and faith are different things. The passage talks about how our actions speak louder than words. 
Our faith can be seen in how we act and in our works. Now, in the same passage, James refers to the story of Abraham. God told Abraham to take his son Isaac, his only son at that time that he'd been waiting his whole life for. He and Sarah have been trying for a child, and he was Isaac was that was that gift from God that they didn't think they would ever have. And he, God said to Abraham, "Take Isaac up on the mountain. I want you to to build an altar, and I want you to to sacrifice Isaac, a burnt offering for me." And Abraham took Isaac. They carried the stuff, they carried the flame and the knife, and they walked up that hill. And Isaac, as they were walking up, said, but we don't have a sacrifice, we don't have a lamb. And, and Abraham said, God will provide. And they got up there, they built that temple, they built that altar, and Isaac was on that altar, bound. Abraham was ready to make that sacrifice. He had the knife in his hand, he was ready, and an angel stopped him and said, no, faithful one, stop Here's a ram. God's provided. You had faith. And then James continues to talk about Rahab, who's a prostitute. She hid enemy spies, spies from her people, people, spies who were spying on her people, her enemy. She hid them. And then when, they, when it was time to escape, she helped them escape. She helped free them at risk of her own life. Both of these, these stories don't just show faith because they've said it, but because there's action. And do you know what God does for those two after their show of faith? He considers them righteous. Righteous. So remember that. So what does it look like for us here and now? Well, if we, St. Clair Baptist Church, are called to be God's chosen people, we're called to be God's chosen here in St. Clair, and we have faith that this property will be a great place for God's love to be seen, we need to act on that. We need to use our works to show that our faith is more than just hope, So what are we doing? What are we going to do? How can our actions show our faith that God can do great things here in St. Clair, here on this property? These are big questions. These are things that we're we're wrestling with right now. I have these conversations regularly with, with all of you. I'll give an example. An example of faith that I've seen in this church. One of our brothers, Keith, he helped organise the um, the community dinner along with the with Yush. He put a lot of time and effort into that, and he showed up. And so other people showed up as well, which is fantastic. But that's his faith that we can see in action. That he he was committed for all that time and effort into it. What for? So that God's people can be working in the community. People will know that God's chosen are here. That God's chosen care for them and love them. Verses 18 to 25 are very humbling. 
It reminds us that even when our worldly masters are treating us harsh, we're to bear it, to continue to use the example of Christ in those times. Jesus was our ultimate example of sacrifice. He suffered for us and he didn't retaliate or make threats. He committed himself to God, the righteous judge. I don't know about you, but even just driving the short distance here this morning, I get frustrated with people on the roads doing silly things. As soon as there's water on the road, apparently everyone drives back in the year. I don't know. I get frustrated. For me, that frustration I've got to hold in, and I've got to remember that I'm, I'm God's chosen. I need to use Jesus. He didn't, when he was being spat on, when he was being um, crucified, he still didn't say anything nasty, act in, in any other way. And I can't even do that driving here in the morning. That's ridiculous. We don't have slave owners and masters the same way it's referenced there, but we have things that we're slaves to in this world, like I've mentioned before. Money, video games, banks, your boss at work. God wants his chosen people to continue to live good lives, even when it's hard and when it hurts, because we are his people. Jesus' suffering and death was so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. See Abraham and Rahab's faith with actions as a great example of that righteousness. Then Peter references the Old Testament again in Isaiah. We were like sheep who have gone astray, but we have now returned to the shepherd. There's so many examples in the Bible of Jesus referring to um, sheep or shepherds. Even when one of us strays, he'll leave the 99 after that one. Have faith in that. He will. But those 99 are there. Those 99 aren't wait, aren't there just waiting and, oh, you know, we'll wait for the shepherd. They still just go about what they're doing. Their purpose. What's our purpose? We need to remember that. We need to keep going on that purpose. Even when God's chasing that one, we need to keep our purpose here. So, God found us. He's shaping us. He has a purpose for us. We need to live our lives in a way that glorifies Him. To be good and faithful because we are His chosen people. So at the start I said there was two things that I wanted to do. I wanted to break it down in. So who are we in Christ? Well, we're His chosen people. And what's He called us to do? Well, I think that's, uh, that's pretty straightforward as well. He's called us to be His people here, where we are. So, the takeaway, what does it look like in your life? How are you being God's chosen people today, tomorrow, every day? Because some of you, like I said, are young in your walk. Some of you are have been walking with Christ for a very long time. But all of you are sitting here. He hasn't called any of you home yet. So you've all got purpose. You've all got a job to do here. What does it look like for us as a church in St. Clair? Well, I've got this property. 
we've spent years and years waiting and planning and organising to have a property and we're here. What are we doing about it? How are we being God's people here? How are we using what we have here for God's glory? How are we being his faithful? Just some things to think about as we leave today. Um, that's it from me. I'll just pray to close. Dear Lord, we just thank you that we are your chosen. We thank you that you have handpicked us, that you are shaping us, that you have purpose for us, for us individually and us as, as your body, Lord. We just pray that as we leave, that these words will just sink into our hearts and that you will um, remind us to show our faith not just with our words but through our works, through, through our behaviour, through our attitude, through our heart, Lord. Just pray that uh, you just fill our conversations, we fill our, um, our weeks with your love as we go about work, as we spend time with family and friends. Amen. Amen.